Hey guys, welcome to the 831 Podcast, episode 18. Uh, yeah, glad to be back, glad to be back quite quickly, about a week or so. And this is, I'm going to try and keep them going now, try and get back in a week, maybe two a week, just just fire out as many as I can. Um, I've got a couple more really good ones lined up, which I'm going to try and get to ASAP <clears throat> and keep turning these over, basically. Um, obviously, really busy, super busy, but paragliding season's not really taken off yet, so I'm not out flying a lot and falconry season's been a bit rubbish, so that's not distracting me. Just work, work, work. Christmas is over, get some podcasts done, so hopefully we can keep on this track and keep pushing them out, really. Um, first of all, let's thank sponsors, Trojan uh, Fitness, Trojan Nutrition, lifelong sponsor of this podcast. Uh, as you all know, helped me out throughout my career, so there'll always be a sponsor. Good Clear English, helped me out during the X pier, Andrew was superb, so Good Clear English are a sponsor of this podcast. Um, I've recently started doing some stuff with HempGuard as well. Kelly over at HempGuard hooked me up with some great products. So have a look at the HempGuard website. Look them up on Facebook. Um, and yeah, I'd like to get Kelly in. Hopefully we'll speak to her because HempGuard's a really cool company. So hopefully we'll talk more along those lines soon. So that'd be good. So look up all those guys and yeah, follow them along. But this one, episode 18, is with Joe Hughes. Now, Joe is a professional boxer from Malmesbury, lives and trains out of Bristol. Um, I've known Joe for many years now, seen his boxing career develop. Um, He's a great boxer, and he recently won a European title, the EBU uh, European Championship. So he's a, a great boxer, really good boxer. But he's also had his life affected by the fact that he has Herb's palsy. It was great to talk to Joe about his career, his recent win, and Herb's palsy. And see how someone like Joe is progressed on despite those things. So I've been looking forward to doing this one for a little while. And I've managed to get in with Joe today. So I'm glad to get that done. We did, however, have some recording difficulties. For the first time ever, my laptop turned itself off midway through about 16 minutes in 15 minutes in i don't know you'll you'll hear it go super quiet i've tried to edit out as much as i can but i've got it down to about 10 seconds or so now where it just goes off and i've cut it and edited it so hopefully it won't detract too much but do keep your ears posted because uh, your ears peeled sorry because you will notice that there's a quiet bit sit with it it's no longer than 10 seconds or so and it comes back on um and then we're back into the to the swing again things again but yeah, Joe's uh, mum also has MS and she's been going through a lot and he's was trying to raise some money to take care of her treatment. And I'll post a link to his uh, GoFundMe page and stuff in this. So please have a look at that story as well. We do touch on it during this. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Joe's a great guy. He trains with someone I really respect in the boxing world, Andy O'Kane, who... Um, who I've trained with and will continue to train with. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Joe's a great guy to talk to and listen to. So I hope you enjoy it. And until the meantime, I will get another one up as quick as possible. But for now, here's Joe Hughes. Thank you very much, guys, and I'll catch you soon.
So, Joe, thank you very much for joining me and coming on. Uh, yeah, I've wanted to get you on for a while. And with recently, obviously, with your recent events in your career, this seems like the best time to, to get you on, really. So, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me on, yeah. So, trying to get used to this sort of stuff and a bit more press and different things like that, talking about myself, which is a bit strange. But, yeah, trying to get used to it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good subject. I think talking about you is a good subject. And so many, uh, I think... So many people get lost in the fighting is a bo- or boxing's a fighting sport. They forget about the the outside stuff that goes along with it in the press commitments and you know people think they just get in the gym and train hard and they don't realize that you've probably been dragged pillar to post recently because of the press. But it's a massive part of your career. You're probably loving it because you know how valuable it is going to be in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with boxing, it's sort of. It's not just a sport anymore, it's, it's a business really and you have to sell yourself and people aren't interested in watching you fight if they don't know who you are or if they don't know anything about you. Uh, so getting the press out there, uh, people knowing who you are, a bit more stuff like that definitely helps. It means you're going to get in bigger fights, no one wants to watch. You know, I've never heard of him, so why would they you know, tune in and watch? Or exactly, so. yeah exactly. It's uh, especially at pro level boxing because you, like, you can be... There's so many pros who are unheard of simply because the press isn't there for them. And with MMA, it's a bit different in that, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry is now a, an MMA fighter. And there's MMA shows every weekend. And there's no real... Um, the hierarchy is different in that you can be main event on a MMA show getting 300 quid. No one's... Like, no one hears of you, but you're still selling 400 tickets, you know? As where when it comes to boxing... You're a, a ranked guy. You're climbing up the ranks. You're fighting on a show, and it's so hard to get that promotion because it's not not that it's a a, a lost sport. It's just that people aren't going to watch it because their mates are now MMA fighters. Or everyone thinks that they're MMA fighters, you know? Yeah, well, and not just MMA. You've got all the white collar stuff nowadays, and people think it's the same thing. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, like say I've been I've been pro what eight years now, and it's sort of I'm only just now really getting a big. Following, I mean, I've boxed on Sky, I've boxed on BT, I've boxed Channel Five, and you know, people don't really you know, know who you are and want to come and watch you box, but they'll happily go down, like you say, to a local MMA show or you know, the white collar show, and it, and sort of think they're the same thing. So it's, it yeah. can be a bit difficult to distinguish yourself, but things like this, you know, talking and the press side of it sort of allows people to know who you are. Yeah, definitely, and you can talk as well, which is good. Like you're not, you're not punch drunk. You're in like yet. you're in, yeah. yet you're not <laughs> well, punch drunk. Yet. I don't know. Maybe I'd have been really articulate, and, uh, really smart. <laughs> no, let's just know. go with no. We are about your optimal level. Yeah, I think so. So I remember um, when it was I was training at Broad Plain. I mean, we must be talking. So we got to be talking. 15 years ago I'd imagine maybe 40 years maybe a little bit less than that and you were coming down every rarely right you used to go into ball playing yeah, every now and correct. again yeah. Yeah, yeah and you but you were really young I remember that and uh but you really stood out then I mean I could just once you've been in the sport and you're not full of shit I guess you can look at people <laughs> and you can think fuck me that kid moves well or fuck me that kid's got a good left hook or that. and of course with you it was your left like all your left that stood out you know you had really good left hook but you just stood out you had like this like tenacious little toughness about you you know which <laughs> as a fighter I, I've never possess, possessed people say I'm tough and I train with tough guys but I'm not I know I'm not I'm like a technical guy and I get obsessed with technique 
but you had like this tenacity about you that really made you stood out as a kid and uh, I remember spotting you and I thought fuck he's gonna yeah I think he's gonna do really well and then through the years you obviously got better and better and better and stuck with it but for me I was sort of wondering because of the things that you obviously been through when you were a kid what made you get into boxing but first of all for people who are listening maybe my friends a lot of people who are going to listen to this paraglider pilots etc not into boxing at all um maybe cover what you went through with your herbs palsy etc and then you link into boxing yeah so basically when i was born um i was a little bit too big for me mum my mum's only a tiny lady she's sort of five foot nothing and uh, I got stuck coming out and the there is certain procedures you're supposed to do as the midwives are supposed to do this that, and the other to sort of try and get you out safely but it didn't happen with me they sort of just grabbed hold of me uh, grabbed hold of my head and just pulled and pulled and pulled until I eventually come came out my dad has said before he remembers um, sort of trying the midwife telling him to sort of hold hold my mum by like the, un- the underarms um, under hooks sort of thing guys um, and and the, they were pulling him down the bed with my, by my by my head pulling him out and um, what happened or what ended up happening was they tore some nerves um, in my neck and leading down into my right shoulder um, and developed something called herbs palsy and basically what that means is there's uh, certain movements it's a, it's a disability basically um, as par- um, parts of my arm sort of paralysed because of there's that nerve damage and there's lots of movements I can't do. Uh, my right arm just doesn't, hasn't grown properly. Um, it's smaller than my left, it's weaker than my left. Uh, you know, I can't put it behind my back, I can't turn my palm over. Um, it's just, it, there isn't a connection to it, if you know what I mean, properly. Mm-hmm. So, but all from, so it's all a delivery thing when you were being at the point of uh, birth. It's not something that happened in the womb or anything like that. No, just no absolutely. It was purely an injury of when I was born you know as i was born they pulled too hard on my head damaged the nerves in my neck and and subsequently in the shoulder the shoulder was dislocated uh, these nerves were some of them were torn some of them were just stretched badly and damaged and from that damage as a little baby they never recover really nowadays they have you can do nerve grafts and things like that um, on the children they do but when i was born they didn't have that not that that fixes it completely but it, it helps um, with me the treatment was sort of non-existent at the time yeah. um, and then as I grew I ended up having op- surgery on it when I was about eight They um, because because of the nerve damage some of the muscles were too strong in comparison to other ones so they had to sort of cut some of the flesh out of those muscles I ended up the structure in my shoulder hadn't grown properly so I had extra bone on one part because the shoulder wasn't in line properly so they had to take some bone out of my shoulder um, as it is now, the the ball part of the ball and socket joint, the ball's too big for the socket, so it's due eventually to pop out, start popping out again. Uh, all the bone in there is jagged as well on the socket part, mm-hmm. um, so that's not great. And yeah, it just doesn't, it just hasn't grown and it hasn't developed properly. And due to that, I had to do a lot of physio. Yeah. Uh, ever since I was a little baby, really, my parents had to obviously do it for me, moving my arm around, uh, things like that. Then as long as I can remember you know having to do exercises and things like that um every day pretty much to try and do it even if you just lift your arm up at the start uh, which is try and hold your arm up your right arm up and that was a real struggle um and then you know progressing 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 so herbs pull er, that's herbs palsy and it can own herbs palsy can only happen through that process or herbs palsy something that can be caused from any trauma from young or well there's the, that condition's 
Herb's palsy, but you can yeah. also they also describe it as brachial plexus injury or okay. brachial plexus, which is that group of nerves that's damaged is called that. Yeah. And you can have that from other injuries. So if you're in a car accident or something, and those nerves can become damaged at any time in your life, really, and you'll end up with the same thing. But obviously. You, it wouldn't be the same as what's with me because your arm would still be. If say it happened when you were an adult, yeah, you've got developed yeah, arm. Yeah, you might then get a lot of muscle wastage and everything like that because yeah. you can't use that. Um, but the, the length would still be the same. So, obviously, I've uh, I've had a lot of issues with my neck. I had a small fracture in my neck that I didn't know about about C six, and then subsequently because of the swelling, I had uh, compression of a nerve at C six C seven cervical nerve really bad uh seven months couldn't feel my hand and lost a lot of muscle wastage in my left hand side uh, like agony it was the worst it's other than slipping the disc in my back it's the worst pain that i've been through and to literally not be able to do a press up or not be able to you know to lose that but then i had it and then i lost it you know but i can sort of understand the um the uh, losing that side and the, the issues that, that is for me or was for me so it makes me i'm i can really sort of relate to how or not relate i can sort of understand that that must be a big deal especially for someone in combat sports and boxing you know it's not like you're doing taekwondo where you can use your kicks most of the yeah. time but for boxing as well you know but um i did so i looked a little bit at um at bell's palsy sorry at herb's palsy and i didn't uh I could never. I didn't really find out whether it was just something you you know you were born with it or whether it has to happen when you when you were uh, being born. But now that you've said that, so completely lost my train of thought there. So <laughs> um, yeah, when you're uh, so you get that you you're born with your herbs palsy, you start to progress for it, start to have rehab, etc. And then at what point from there do you start to feel like you can? be normal with it you know are you as soon as you're like a toddler and stuff you feel like you have a normal function but you've just got to be careful or did you after when you get to say 10 you thought right i can start to really use this as a, a proper arm and then well to be honest i don't use it as a proper arm now as no adult, really i mean there's lots of things i can do with it that you know other people with those balls you can um so i'm lucky and very lucky in that sense but i do, everything i'm doing really i do everything with my left hand to be honest and especially now I've got kids now and it's a nightmare sometimes doing some of the stuff yeah. and trying to do it with one arm is like really awkward like changing nappies is a nightmare carrying I've got two kids now yeah. I've, I just pick them up with my left hand and then we've got little babies only 11 weeks old I can't hold him in my right arm you know and yeah. on my shoulder I feel like I'm going to drop him if I do that um, so the and the oldest one's now like pick me up carry me too he always says yeah. I can't carry them both at the same time you know it's really yeah, frustrating yeah, yeah. Um, but really I mean the way I was brought up wasn't as if it was never a big deal we always uh, I was always going to the hospital about it physio about it things like that but my parents never made a big fuss out of it if you know mm -hmm. what I mean and it was um, they made sure I did everything that I needed to do with it you know the physio and that are quite strict with it but um, it was never as if I was different, let's say. Um, I've got a sister as well, and you know, she hasn't got it. And it was just, you know, you've got a bad arm, but you know, just crack on, you know. Yeah, you can do everything you. she that's can you. do. Um, don't worry about it at school, you can do everything that you can do. Even though, I mean, I've had tests and loads of stuff when I was a kid. Um, I should have been right handed to hold a pen and write with a pen, but I had to learn it left handed. Um, so my handwriting it still is now it's terrible it always has been yeah. um, I ended up being um, supposedly forced 
dyslexic they call it when you're using them because apparently using the wrong hand you end up you know confusing your brain almost yeah, yeah. um they did little tests put different types of glasses on me and they put these certain glasses on i could read like three times as much so i end up reading slower and different stuff like that it's, it's, it's mental the stuff it does affect without you even, yeah, it's even think of it but um the way in my head i never sort of felt like i was different just because the way you know i was never really treated differently yeah yeah so um it was just one of those things you know yeah it's uh it's ma that's mad to think about the brain how much you fuck the brain mm. just by yeah it's crazy but they, they said to us the way they used um say in like the victorian times you know they forced all the children out to write with the right hand mm -hmm. Um, it might not have been the Victorian times, but you know, why they, they, when people they started teaching kids to write, if you were left-handed, that was wrong. You write with your right hand, whether yeah. you're left-handed or right-handed. And all the kids that were forced to do it the wrong way round were like slower and different stuff, and this forced dyslexia and things like that. And obviously, yeah. as time goes on, they do more medical research and they figure out why. And you know, I don't know the science behind it. Yeah. But yeah, you wouldn't think it. You just think, oh, you got messy handwriting when you do that. But yeah, yeah. It's just you know. So herbs palsy now is. If if it happened, if the same thing happened to you now, I guess treatment would be a lot more advanced, and they'd be able to help you a lot better if you were, you know, if you if you were just born now and the same incident happened. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously they'd probably deliver you better, but then if you came out and you had that injury, I guess there's more now a better procedure to deal with it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not the surgery. There wasn't as much, um, you know, medical stuff nowadays. They try and get it done as soon as you know they find out when you're a little baby. They try and do surgery or whatever treatments necessary at the time because obviously there's varying degrees of how much the nerve damage is mm -hmm. and they try and <clears throat> do it as soon as they can now which is brilliant whereas when i was born sort of no one really knew about it but there's a really good group now called uh herbs palsy group they're a charity and try and do a bit of work for them as well or you know trying to get their name out yeah. there and they're they're brilliant and uh, help the families because it's not just the children it's the you know the parents yeah. they struggle and they worry and everything like that and they don't really know what to do because what do you do you don't really know yeah. um and for instance when my first son was born he had something called shoulder dystocia which is uh which is basically what happens when you have herbs palsy right your shoulder gets stuck and damaged thank god um you know there's nothing wrong with him um, and he, he didn't have any damage with it, but he just his shoulder got stuck before he came out, yeah. and he was completely fine. But we had a letter, uh, we had a letter saying, you know, your son had shoulder dissociation when he was born. Um, if you notice any of these things, you know, come back straight away. Um, give us, you know, contact information for the herbs palsy group. This, that, and the other. Whereas my parents were sort of like, said, oh yeah, he's got herbs palsy. Yeah. See you later, you know? yeah, get on with it. Yeah, Never the it, internet to, to access no. or anything back then, so no, exactly. You know, I better want many books. How, how common is it? Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I've heard a few different things banded around. Yeah. Um, I know there's. Uh, I read a statistic that it's about one in a thousand in America. Okay. But it, def it isn't as high as that. Yeah. Like I don't really know anyone. Well, I, yeah, I don't. Apart, apart from through the Irish Yeah. Program. Other than yourself, it's not something. Like if, if I was to hear Herb's palsy mentioned, like I'd immediately think of you. It would be, and I would only recognise it from yourself. You know, it wouldn't have been something that I would have uh, heard of before. So I, I couldn't imagine it being. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the exact statistics mm. or anything like that. It would be interesting to know. I'm sure they're probably like you say on the internet somewhere. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. But as far as I know, I've never really. I think I've met a handful of people uh, with it that I haven't met specifically because right with me because of this you know you don't yeah, run yeah. into people and 
Well, I never have done, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Day one in a thousand, there was more than a thousand people at my school, and I was the only person there with it. Or you know. yeah, and look, so yeah, everyone in Bristol that we know conjointly. I don't know anybody else but yourself. So yeah. I should imagine that's a, a a statistic that's maybe hyped up somewhere yeah. or yeah again. Yeah, yeah. Poll was like uh, statistics and polls are usually exactly. bullshit anyway, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, but you are. Uh, so I imagine you're quite a. Um, like your your story is inspiring for people who aren't who don't have herbs palsy anyway. Um, be, for me, anybody who makes their makes herself any sort of professional athlete, I get I get sort of obsessed with people who are um, like passionate about stuff. I went, I went and saw that film A Star Is Born with like Lady Gaga. And <laughs> I got obsessed with Lady Gaga. I was yeah. doing like an hour and a half a day watching Gaga videos. <laughs> Okay, so we had a little uh, glitch. Technical difficulty. Technical difficulty there, yeah. But I think I was saying about some bollocks about how I... Uh, yeah, like I got, I've had this thing about people who... The thing with Lady Gaga, I got like obsessed with her because I watched some videos and documentaries and she's like so obsessed by music, you know? Like she's always sort of thinking musically and I do the same with... Even down to... I started watching a few years ago, America's Next Top Model. Yeah. And some of these girls were like... <laughs> just so like committed to being a model that I get like I, I really admire that you know so mm. someone like yourself even from a professional athlete point of view you look at anyone who, who locally who you know or you've met or you train with or nearby and you look at how well they're doing how committed they are to what they're doing we all know people here who are good boxers but want to go out sniffing coke every weekend and getting drunk and yeah. stuff, you know? And you think, if only you had some sort of commitment. So when you see somebody who does make the sacrifices and has that commitment, that's inspiring enough. But then when you find out they, they've they had previous uh, issues like you with your herbs palsy, like drawbacks, you know? Certain things that should be holding people back and have held others back, but they defy them things and they carry on. Mm -hmm. Is inspiring for someone like myself. So for people within your palsy uh, community, I should imagine you, yeah, you're very inspiring for them, and it's a great story for them to to follow. You know. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't start out uh, thinking this, but um, now um, with the success I've had, I get a lot of people, um, you know, with herbs or with children with herbs and things like that, reaching out to me and sending me messages saying how inspirational I've been to them. Um, and different things like that and I was spurred them on for different reasons uh, things that are not just herbs palsy but just different disabilities and things like that and, and that's a huge motivation to me now yeah. to be like I mean you know obviously you fight fight for, for myself first of all and then you know yeah. I do it as a living everything like that and all those are motivations but you know having things like that and knowing that I'm sort of you know, you don't. I don't like I say. You don't. There's nothing. You, you don't set out to be like it. Yeah. But now it's you know a real nice part of it is you know when I have a big fight and when like for instance a big one and I win, um, or even when I haven't won, I, I you know you get messages off different people and yeah. you know it's a, it's a nice feeling. You know it's get, yeah. it's really something you get out. Because of you get like when when people win and you they win. Like, I did this for everyone with herbs. Pause it. You think yeah. it's bollocks. No, You're talking yeah. bullshit. Like you didn't. Did it for you, you yeah, did it because exactly. you're getting paid, you did it because you love it. Yeah. But when you get those messages, like you say, hey, it's really nice f 
for you personally but it's nice to know it's nice to know yeah. that listen this thing that, that affected me massively but I overcome it just my stories up and those people yeah. that, that's nice to know you know yeah exactly and like I say you're exactly right I don't, I don't do it for people with Harris palsy yeah. you know I didn't start when I was a little kid thinking right I'm going to box so that I can inspire people yeah. with Harris palsy you know but now thinking about it now you know that is really motivating to me I mean after my last fight I had a message off of a parent who said their child was born two weeks before and uh, they were terrified, didn't know what was going on, didn't know about Herb's palsy, anything like that. Just happened to see me on the telly, saw the story about Herb's palsy, and it was really, you know, they, they sent me a message saying, telling me that and saying, like, they're not worried now, you know. Um, and just messages like that, it was just like, oh, it takes your breath away a little bit, you know. Yeah. And things like that. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really nice. And I still f I find it weird. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm an inspiration or, you know things like that it feels weird to, to you know you can't yeah, describe yourself course, yeah. as it I and mean, it feels really yeah. strange when people say it to me but it, it is nice yeah yeah it's one of the I think I, I don't think anybody should I don't think anybody should aspire to be inspiring <laughs> no, I mean because yeah, I think absolutely. you're a bit narcissistic and self-indulgent yeah, yeah. if you do absolutely. and then people when people tell you you know you're inspiring it's not banded around and it's not just yeah. you know like if it's got some context and some meaning then yeah and uh it's like yeah it's not i mean i've had those those messages and i i don't have obviously herbs or anything when you win a fight or you lose a fight you just get messages you get mm. messages from people you know or people you don't know and i very much fight because i or when i was fighting a lot as well i fought because if i went to bed on a night and thought right i'm going to retire i couldn't sleep that would keep i couldn't sleep thinking i might not fight again you know mm. and i i fought because when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't wait to train to be better at fighting. And when I went to bed at night, no matter how hard my session was, if I thought about not fighting, I couldn't sleep. So I knew I, I have to fight, I have to fight. Very much for me, the financial reward is something that, if it comes, is brilliant. But very much like self-rewarding fighting. Yeah. Win or lose, you know. And uh, so, but when these people drop you those messages... They are. It is a big thing, and it might be a, a bigger thing for other people than it is for you. You know, the people in the herbs palsy world, just to see you there. So, it's not to be. It's definitely not to be undermined how how important it probably is. But you don't want to also be. No. You don't want to be the face of herbs palsy, I guess. <laughs> you know, you don't want to. But um. So you did. So when did you start boxing? When did you? Um, I started boxing when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. Um, originally I started uh, martial arts when I was five years old. Um, Taekwondo. Yeah. Um, just as every kid does, pretty much, I suppose, some sort of martial arts. Yeah. But the reason my dad took me down was purely as a physiotherapy type thing. Um, it was a trick, really, because I was doing, I had to do all this physio at home, and obviously, as a little kid, all of that sort of stuff's really boring. Yeah. Kid yeah. make a tantrum every time I had to do this, and it was painful, and you know, you didn't want to do it. So my dad sort of tricked me. I was into you know Power Rangers and you know <laughs> Kung Bruce Lee and stuff like that when I was a little kid. So. Um, it was like, oh, well, should we go down to the, you know, the Taekwondo class and things like that? Um, and and trick me into, you know, we've got to do these movements, this move, that move. Yeah. And then um, I, I enjoyed that, really enjoyed it. But I was found the punching more fun than the kicking. Um, and I started boxing when I was eight, um, as well as I was still doing martial arts at the same time. But I started boxing when I was eight for the same reason, you know, it was... I wanted to do it and I didn't realise my dad was tricking me into doing physio yeah. when I was that age but I really enjoyed it and I thought oh, it was great and then when I was eight I was you know, watching boxing all the time as much as I could and I, you know it was it was great and luckily the, the trainer down at the local gym Malmesbury Boxing Club a guy called Tony Stannard who actually passed away last year um, he was good enough to let me in because a lot of boxing gyms 
it's old boxing's old school mm. you know and nowadays it's not too bad but a lot of old gyms are old school and tony was an old school trainer and um the gym in Malmesbury was very much if you want to box great come along and it was like 20 pound a year to train yeah but if that's as long as you're putting the effort in if you miss one session and it's not a genuine reason you're out of the club yeah you know what um other kids that come and be like, oh, I can't make training tonight because I've got a football game for the school. Tony would be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Don't bother coming next week, though. You know, you're yeah. wasting my time. You want to play football, play football. That's fine. But you, if you want to box, you box. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, at that stage when I was a little kid with the Arab's palsy, I couldn't even put my right hand on my chin. Um, and they were willing to put time into me just as a nice thing to do, you know, um, down there because they, you know, they didn't think, no one thought I'd ever be able to have a competitive match. Uh, so it was like, yeah, let, let the little disabled boy come in. We can try and help him, and it's a bit of physio, something good to do, I suppose. Um, and yeah, luckily, and you know, just just carried on. Just stuck with it. Yeah, yeah, that tenacity. So you just just sticking with it. So you you loved it. You really enjoyed it. You thought about boxing, started watching more and more of it. Yeah. So then, you, where did you think like at what point, or did you already think like? I can't be a boxer, or did you think you know, I couldn't be a box? I can't be a boxer. No, I ne- I've never in my life thought I can't do anything. Yeah. I think that's just the way of sort of drilled into me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I started when I was eight, and you're not allowed to box properly until you're like a competitive fight until you're eleven. So it's like a skills match or something. Well, like they that. do those now, but they never, they didn't really have them no. when I was started. Um, but when you're eleven, you're allowed to have proper fights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at the gym when I started when I was eight. Uh, training they let me come down once a week at the beginning for a, you know for a while and then it wasn't long after I started boxing that I had the surgery after I had the surgery I could then put my right hand onto my chin so that was a big step um, it being able to defend my chin <laughs> um, and yeah and carried on and carried on um, and yeah I really loved it I used to I mean, we there was no such thing as YouTube back then so I'd sort of try and I'd pester me dad to buy me tapes of old fights and uh, some of some of the older guys at the gym had old boxing but history books and I'd trawl through them as a kid yeah. you know and really and I'd go say to my dad look yeah Roberto Duran here you know this that and that you know things like that and uh, was your dad a boxing fan? he was a fan yeah he yeah. didn't box but I think he had a fight in the forces but he never yeah. you know he wasn't a, a boxer as say but um, he enjoyed watching it and you know Mike Tyson was big back then and, yeah. you know the 90s it's it good was, I guess so. it's good if you're enthusiastic and your dad likes boxing anyway yeah because there's nothing worse than like, like my dad's not a, into boxing or anything at like he probably watched Lewis Bruno and now thinks he's a boxing fan. Yeah. Do you know what I mean like he's not a boxing fan. So when I speak about fighting or talk about fighting like or MMA or or box I could never go and talk to my dad because my yeah. dad was never into it. Like, oh right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like football you could talk about it, but it was never really into it. So if you're when you're into it and then your dad actually likes it as well, yeah. that keeps the enthusiasm going as yeah, well, well. I guess I don't think he was like hugely into it, but he could see that I was and you know, he wanted me to be into it because he knew it was good physio for your yeah. arm so he sort of played along a bit and you know like I say he wasn't a massive fan but he was a fan he did yeah. like it um, so it was yeah we used to just talk about boxing all the time and try and do as much as I could and so I was boxing and then ended up boxing you know we'd go there a couple of nights a, a week and then I'd be doing martial arts on the other nights and I'd just do taekwondo one night and then you know something else or yeah. you know I'd done some kung fu one-to-ones <laughs> and different stuff like that just because I just wanted to do, you know. so how do you think the Kung Fu's helped you in your boxing <laughs> yeah. well I'd have to tie up you're a like sash the, and like you're it. like an original mixed martial yeah, artist yeah well I've done Compl- judo as well yeah, and stuff like, yeah just because I enjoyed it all yeah, you know? yeah. like I say it was more 
I, I, I never at the time then was like, oh, I'm going to be a pro boxer and stuff like that. I just, I wanted to do it, and don't get me yeah. wrong. Someone said, would you like to be a pro boxer? The answer was yes, but it was just, I enjoy doing these different, you know, combat sports. And I guess probably basic kid sports would have probably been more difficult like throwing a ball in like tennis yeah, or like well, rounders or I guess you have to try and do everything left handed yeah well I mean but I mean even one hand like rounders are one handed sport but you you use to, you pick a ball up you throw yeah. a ball I guess you take for granted so you um yeah I guess when you get into boxing or something like that where you're not so held back I guess it seems yeah, well, weird that you would be more held back you'd think you'd be more held back in a combat sport but I guess probably well, you weren't compared to say tennis or like well, I don't know too much. I don't. I didn't, never had any. Never. In yeah. It was like football, obviously, like any yeah. kid, um, things like that. But that's just what I was drawn to, and I guess because I'd done it from a young age, um, you know, the combat sports was what I was was really into, um, and just boxing was the one I enjoyed the most, um, and the, that was the one I stuck with, and I was most interested in, you know, learning about and getting better at, and it was always that goal of, you know, when I'm eleven. I'll be able to have a boxing match then. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah, that'd be brilliant. I can't wait. Like that'd be amazing. And I trained so much, and and it seems so far off. You know, when you're eight, you know, eleven seems like yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I'll be growing up when I'm eleven. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, eventually did it, and eventually did it. I got that. Eventually, you know, targeted that target, which was a that goal of mine, which I'd set, um, which was something I'd sort of like. We learned a thing, you know, from Taekwondo even. Um, I did it with a guy called Master Don Deegan, who I who I coach at boxing at for them now. Yeah. Um, over in Chippenham, but they used to like. I mean, you know what martial arts is like. It's not just about fighting. It's about teaching you, and so was boxing. Uh, especially with Tony, it was more about teaching you how to be a you know a good person and teaching you you know life yeah. lessons. But it was like setting goals, and that was my goal at the time was, I want to have a fight, you know, yeah. and that was just would have been a massive thing for me was just to have that first fight and. You know, and then it's just keep progressing from there. Yeah, that's uh, what you said then about. So, because the amount of people who are going to do a, a martial art, or the amount of people who are going to do or are going to box, etc. As a coach, obviously, I've coached a lot, and I coach kids a lot now. You always, you're always trying to produce more good people than you are good fighters, because yeah. that you have a lot more potential to do that. You know, and that's what when fighting sports combat sports when they come under so much chastising is it people don't realize that 90 percent of people who are teaching them are trying to produce good people not good fighters you know it's yeah. just so there's there's very little people who are going to make you money from a from a coach perspective you know you you get your five pound per kid who comes to a class let's say but you're not looking at them or thinking well who's going to be a world champion who's going to yeah. make me money but Every one of them can take something away. So if you're you're trying to produce good people, and that's what people don't see, whether it's fight, boxing, taekwondo, etc. Is it like you're uh, the well, Tony, wasn't it? Who, Tony yeah. So yeah. Tony, there being old school, he's like, well, don't don't come then if you're going to mm. go play for. It's not that he's just thinking, like, well, I only want boxers who are going to make me money or yeah. going to. It's just listen, we're going to produce men strong men who are like strong minded they stick with something they know what they want and it's a journey that you're investing in the person who you're who you're coaching not just as a, an athlete but you're investing them as a person mm. and I think Absolutely. people don't realise that you know no I mean we like I say Tony it was, I think it was £20 a year to train there yeah. you had to have your shirt tucked in when you walked in the gym if your shirt was untucked you got punished and 
you know, you had to that, you had no swearing in the gym, no talking during a round, everything like that was sort of very disciplined. Yeah. Um, but it was like you say, it was teaching you lessons. I mean, uh, you don't get really get that at school nowadays and things like that. And I mean, I was lucky. I mean, my parents are good as gold and would teach me stuff like that. But not everybody does. There's yeah. a lot of fighters that come down and you know they don't see their parents half the time. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So you know, it was sort of that. He was a father figure to a lot of people and taught a lot of people and things like that. And, I th- and lots of coaches are like that. Um, you know, like you say, trying to make good people rather than good fighters, you're never going to make any money, especially at an amateur boxing gym. Like yeah. I say, it's twenty pound a year. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. the all the people there, um, just about over the course of a year, they'll have it one show that that'll pay all the bills at the gym, and and that's it. You know, and all the coaches, all the amateur boxing coaches up and down the country, you know, most of them are like that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of martial arts coaches are. There seems to be more money. I mean, it's. I, I think. Arts, yeah, I think boxing's uh, got more of a history of teaching kids from poor from poor backgrounds and I think maybe martial arts were maybe guys who had a little bit more money so you'd pay a bit more I think so from when from all the traditional martial arts that I've done I never really liked any of them and then I started doing judo with a a good friend of mine James Waith and uh, that was a very different relationship I'd done judo for years before, but I didn't, you know, I just did it. Then I started doing it quite seriously with James, and that was a different relationship. We had, like, a, a real bond, real good friends, got close, and I really stuck with that. Boxing-wise, I, I, so I was, bo- I'd always boxed a little bit, but then when I started going to brawl playing with Andy, it was so much better because Andy wasn't like other boxing coaches. Andy saw you want to box for MMA. Do you know what I mean? And Andy started to pay attention to MMA to see what do these guys do different mm-hmm. to the boxers I'm teaching, you know? And he really uh, understood that I have to make a change as well as you make a change. But at the same time, like you've, tra- you've trained under Andy for years. You know how he is with training with Andy, you know? Yeah, he's a good laugh, he's a crack, but when your gloves are on, you're you're there to, to fucking box. You're there to get better. And because I was going to pro sort of sessions, not just... You know, we'd go in the day pro sessions for all of us MMA fighters. We went there to get our asses kicked and, yeah. and get better. You yeah. know, and I think when you go to a, a martial arts class, apart from M- MMA classes, are now slightly different depending on where you go. But martial arts classes, I think a lot of people are going there to as a hobby to do something to pass the time. Mm. To so I don't think that um, I think the va- there's a lot better values in tra- in a lot of traditional old school boxing gyms. Then there are, if you were to take into account how many people are in a school hall doing a little karate class or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. like those people are trying to produce someone a bit better, uh, a better person as opposed to you get your five pound. If I got thirty people in my class doing kata, yeah, superb. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've earned I've earned hundred and fifty quid tonight. Yeah, a boxing right. boxing coach might have thirty people in his class and two of them are paying. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do think it's different. So you had your first uh, your first bout at eleven. Yeah, I had my first fight, uh, boxing match at 11. I had had, you know, martial arts, you know, sparring, they called it then, yeah. you know, the competitions, even though it was, <coughs> you know, to us in boxing, sparring's in the gym, it's not a competition, but, yeah, yeah. you know. But yeah, I had my first boxing uh, competition when I was 11, which I, and I actually won my first fight, um, which was a shock sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then it was sort of win-lose, win-lose, you know, as the first few years. And I just loved it, and it was just, you know, one of those things um, I wanted to try and do as much as I could. And then I sort of set my sights on where you had the schoolboy championships mm-hmm. um, uh, back then, and well, I still have them now. I think they got a different name, but you had the schoolboys, and that was always a goal of mine was to enter them. You know, I've I've um, entered them 
you know, the first chance as soon as I was old enough because you had to be then 12 to enter those um, and I lost um, and I lost the first two times I entered. I think, well, the first time I lost the first fight I had, but it, I, I sort of got by through the area rounds because it was so small and young. Um, straight to, and I lost to a kid from London, um, just quite close. I think the score was 10 9 or something like mm -hmm. that, but it was a close fight. And the same the second year, I think I, the second year I won, I managed to win the Western Counties, um, actually, fight, I had to fight three times to win it. And that was a huge uh, moment for me because that was the thing that was entering them. Brilliant, I'd entered yeah. it. The next goal was then to win the area rounds. So then in the second year I was in, I managed to win the area rounds and that was a huge deal to me. But then I lost in the quarterfinals again to another kid from London um, in a close fight, but I lost it. And it was, oh, brilliant. you know, I've got, you know, and at the time it was, you know, my parents were chuffed a bit, you know, thinking, wow, this kid, our son's got Herb's palsy and he's managed to win that area yeah. boxing, you know, title, which was a huge deal to me. And I was I'm the only person I think ever done that, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit. That's a big. It's a big deal. That's a. That's a step up from you know a, a little fight here and there. Yeah, like, exactly. It's a. It's a proper competition. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's a national competition. Yeah. I'd say you at the area, but it's the rest of England. It's sort mm -hmm. of you know Bristol sort of swing, swing sort of Wiltshire area all the way down Cornwall, also sort of the, the this sort of eighth of the country if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, but then after I won the area, you know, you set another goal. I want to be the national champion, and I think when well, by the time I was fourteen, I'd sort of started to. Uh, I'd always like to say I'd always lo loved it, but I was just taking it even more serious by then. It was like that was all I used to think about. Yeah. You know, I, my dad used to take me. I used to go swimming before school as training, um, and especially for the right arm, I used to have to hold a float in my left arm, and I'd swim up and down the pool with just my right arm. It used to take forever, <laughs> but we do stuff like that and training before school. And I get home, I train after school, and I was just obsessed with it. And I ended up winning the national title. Um, when I was 14 which was sort of you know unbelievable really I was the first person uh, from Malmesbury uh, boxing club to win an open national title because as you know that's you know any level yeah uh, open level and Malmesbury is a small boxing club right it's a small club yeah, yeah. so yeah. you're the first person from the club but that's, that's a huge deal you know it's yeah. a big it's a big thing to win and you're from a little small club and you've got herbs. Yeah, that's exactly. a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you ask anyone um, involved in amateur boxing, the schoolboy championships was like a, if you won that, you know, that was a, that was a really big deal. I mean, I, it isn't now um, how it used to be. It used to be literally, it's called the schoolboy championships because when they used to box at schools, in schools, every single school would enter a fight. Yeah. And you know, the same thing, it's obviously watered down because no one, you don't do it at school. I say watered down. In terms of numbers, not in terms of quality, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and I ended up boxing for England as well after winning that. Um, I boxed for England in what they call the Four Nations Championship, but I lost in the first round of that. Um, so once I won that, that was then another the goal, wasn't it? Win the championships the next year, yeah. but now I want to win the Four Nations as well, um, <laughs> which I then did do the next year. I won the national title again, because it was sort of thing, yeah, well done, you won one national title. Um, that's brilliant, that's probably all you'll do. You know? And it was sort of every goal was sort of, yeah, well done, that's probably all you'll do. Yeah, well yeah. Um, and then I managed to win the national title again, and then I won the gold at the Four Nations the next year. Um, and sort of just, just kept going from there as a junior. I ended up winning, well, I won the schoolboys, junior ABAs. I won the CYPs twice, which is the Clubs for Young People Championships, which yep. is a, um England, Scotland and Wales Championship and all that other thing. Um, won those twice, won the Four Nations, won GB Championship gold, um, all these sort of titles as an amateur. And then eventually won, well, 
when you become a senior then it's sort of yeah the senior aviator opens up a lot you're not just fighting people in your own age group yeah you're yeah. fighting everyone from 18 to weight classes then is it still weight class well it's weight classes as a junior as well yeah. but um instead of just being that one birth year of people all yeah. of a sudden it's 18 year olds up to 34 year olds it was at the time yeah so it's a lot it's a lot bigger category and then the first year in the senior ABAs, I lost in the quarterfinals. I managed to win the area rounds, but uh, lost. And I wasn't. I think I'd got to a stage there where I th I felt like I should just win it. Yeah. Um, and it, and I don't. I don't think really the first year I went as a senior, I really trained as well as I should have. Um, well, not necessarily didn't train because I still trained hard, but I think in my head it wasn't quite the same. Um, yeah. After winning all those things, it, you know, I mean, I was eighteen and. You know, other things came important. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a little blip that year, didn't box quite as well, this and the other, and that gave me a kick up the ass. Yeah, um, that's what sometimes you need that. I think that's what yeah. uh, people are depriving their kids of when they don't let them do stuff like mm. like this, is it? You know, you fucking, when you lose, I was going to say, like, can you remember being younger and how it felt to lose? Can you yeah. sort of recall that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. It was horrible. Yeah. You know, it was horrible. I mean, I mean, even though I, I was never expected to win much and this, that and the other. But that's by everybody else. In your exactly. own head, yeah. I guess you're thinking like, exactly. other no, I'm going to fucking thought, beat the guy. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Other people thought, you know, you were not going to, yeah, yeah you, you probably, you know, fair play to you, you're trying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to me, it was like, no, I've got to win. I want to be the best. Yeah. You know, and then with that year in the ABAs, probably wasn't quite so. I mean, I was 18, I moved out and uh, moved away from my parents, so I moved into the, moved away living by myself yeah. with a couple of my mates at that stage and, you know, doing things in life. And I still, you know, I was still training my ass off and stuff like that, but I don't think I was quite as focused and, like I say, yeah. give me a kick up the ass. So then the next year, it was like, right, nothing's going to stop me from winning this senior ABA title this year. They'd said whoever won it this year would go to the Commonwealth Games. Uh, this, that, and the other, and I was just really screwed on for it that year, and I and I won the senior ABAs, and again, that is like a huge competition. Where were you training at this point? Um, I was training with Andy, and I was training, at, still training at Malmesbury Amateur Boxing Club. Yeah. But I, I mean, I started training with Andy when I was about, I don't know, sixteen, something like that. Yeah, I think 15, you were about fifteen, sixteen when yeah. But that was sort of coming back and forth. Mm -hmm. My dad used to come and drop me off, you know, um, drop me off there in the morning, do a bit of work, and then drop me dropped me back and then when I was 17 started driving I used to be able to come myself then because I was travelling from Malmesbury which was about 45 minutes away yeah. something like that um, <clears throat> but yeah that year was just I mean I was training like a pro really um, I was lucky enough that I had a couple of sponsors and my parents helped me out sort of thing that I didn't have to go and get a job it was sort of boxing in my head then was like boxing's what I want to do yeah. I want to be a pro so I'm gonna try, I was training three times a day you know to win that senior ABA title and I managed it and uh, you know that was the sort of biggest achievement of mine as an amateur and you know that's a real that's a big one to win what so. weight did you win the abas at uh like welterweight so 64 kilos so who in history would be a really well-known boxer at that weight uh ricky hatton won, ricky it. Hatton won it that way yeah, yeah he won it at that weight um there's a few others you know, there's, you know, yeah. in history that would have, would have won. It's it. a big so, deal. Look, it's yeah, a big. It was, it was I mean, big, it's the biggest domestic thing you can win as an amateur boxer. Exactly. So. Yeah. So obviously, I know how uh, the senior ABAs. I know how important they are because obviously, I've followed boxing. I've never pursued boxing, but I've, I know a lot of boxers. Know a lot of people who box in the ABAs, obviously, because and especially from Bristol. So for me, I know. But guys listening might not realise that you know that's a mm. a big deal for absolutely any boxer to win the the senior ABAs is yeah. a huge deal massive mm. achievement yeah I mean like you like, say from Bristol the only the first person to win it in how many years I don't know how many years it was 30 or 40 might have been longer mm. was Sam Pomfrey Sam, yeah. 
um, who who um, who won it the year after I won it. Yeah, a different weight, but um, that was the first person from Bristol to win it. In, yeah, you know, thirty four years, which shows you how difficult it is to win. Exactly, and we produ- and we produced. Fan, like fantastic boxers Absolutely. we're known for having Bristol's really got a big solid boxing community you know when you go back and look through the people who we've got and the pros that we've produced Bristol's really well known it's 30-40 mm. years till they somebody yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it is a huge deal and it shouldn't be understated that mm. you know that's a massive deal the, the ABAs yeah the sen- yeah, and especially the senior ABAs it's yeah. like um, you know because like I say it's all the age groups and you know that's how old were you at this point? 19 19 yeah so I was young to win it and yeah. um, I, I wanted to get, then go for the, the Commonwealth Games because I'd sort of been promised it you know yeah. and then the England sort of selectors were who were going to pick me the England team because obviously it's England for the Commonwealth England, Scotland, Wales yeah um, for the for the Commonwealth were sort of overruled by the GB team it was sort of an over there at the time there was a lot of sort of politics yeah, and yeah. stuff and GB had sort of taken over and their Olympic programme had sort of was overruled and then they just picked their guy to go instead and I was sort of like oh, you know what who went instead of you do you know uh, Bradley Saunders okay it yeah. was a very good fighter yeah, yeah. you know but you know it is what it is and how did he do at the Commonwealth Bradley Saunders I'm in that sure. instance you don't know you got I'm on I'm sure I can it's just such a shame because you'd think like is a massive deal. Mm. You've won it. Like, fuck yeah, me. If I you're going to give a guy, any guy, a break or instance yeah. or a chance, come on, tell me you yeah, think well, just do it when you. To be honest, I think the GB didn't really see the potential in me. They didn't yeah, think yeah. it because I was only using one hand. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't. They, in their heads, the all the coaches there at the time were sort of like, it's a big right rear hand that scores all the points. Yeah. And I was just using a jab and I was winning, you know. And But to them, that, oh, that's not going to win internationally. Yeah, but I mean, I had six fights for England and I won five of them. The only one I lost was the first one. Yeah, for the Four Nations, but um, you know, what can you do? Yeah, people get people. I mean, <laughs> d- these sort of things are filled filled with people's ignorance, mm. aren't they? You know, just because I don't think many people outside of sports realise just how much of a uh, a business or let's say a promotion sports is. If you box for England or Great Britain or anything, you're very much just, well, we're representing Great Britain, we have to win, we have to, mm. it's not about you as an individual boxer, it's about yeah. your England or your, your Great Britain and the same is if you're boxing on a on a card, you're just money earning the promoter's money, yeah. you know, the only person who gives a fuck about you is you, yeah, you know, so I don't think people realise that the, pol- the political side of it is we've got a great uh, GB fighter who can go and do well. Don't care who's won the ABAs, this is the guy who's going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They are there and they've already invested money into him. Yeah. You know, sent him to other competitions, that this, that and the other. They can't then turn around to their back of, you know, UK sport and all that and be like, well, we've, you know, invested this money into this fighter, but we're going to send this guy instead. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like we've put the money there, so that's where your money's going and so that's what's yeah. going to happen in GB at the time where, you know, overall in the England side of it, so... You know, probably for the for the good anyway because you it meant you could more focus more on your career boxing your style because I should imagine they would have probably tried to t- change something about you and get you to work with their team and get the you know you'd have probably things might have got watered down for you you wouldn't have been able to been as independent in your your career and your style as you are now you know yeah absolutely I mean when you were on the GB thing and going to those sort of tournaments you had to stay up there in Sheffield you know all week mm-hmm. um, and you basically had to live up there and train with their programs and all that and to be honest I prefer being at home well yeah, yeah I've, been to, I've been to Sheffield I definitely would yeah, prefer but, yeah but I mean I just I just don't like the whole I mean I went there a few times for training camps and stuff like that and it was a great setup, hell of a facility but I'm yeah. just the sort of person you know, I like training 
but yeah. I, uh, I like to go home afterwards as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. not sit in a hotel room or you know a, a flat that's been put up for you just for training and yeah you know so i mean in some ways you know, I mean, it would have been nice to have those opportunities, but you have to, you know, live the way they want to live. Uh, yeah, and like I said, they might have hindered your progression <clears throat> as a pro later on, you yeah, know, you because know, yeah. you never know what I was going to be. And you can't fucking change it. And all you've done is yeah. missed out on this one opportunity. It could have gone either way anyway. So, mm. yeah, you progress forward. Mm. So how long, so you win the, the senior ABAs, how long do you turn pro? Um, well, it was after I sort of overlooked for that. I was like, right, I'm just going to turn pro. Um, I think I won the ABS. I think the final was in sort of May, mm-hmm. something like that. And then I had my first pro fight in October of that same year. I sort of decided it was going to turn pro. <coughs> I was always going to turn pro with Andy, but he only had his trainer's license at the time. So yeah. I was training with Andy. I ended up signing a managerial and promotional contract with Frank Maloney. Mm-hmm. It was called Frank at the time. Called Frank then, yeah. Um, and at the time, he was. Um, he was really big at the time, you know, yeah, he was deal with Sky. I think he just won the European Promoter of the Year Award um, just before I signed with him. Um, and he was really, really doing the thing at the time. So he was, and we spoke to a few different promoters. We spoke to Frank Warren as well. But Maloney had the best offer on the table at the time. So we went with him and it all sounded great, everything like that. Um, I won my first four fights, um, you know, and it was, it was all going pretty well. Um, my fifth fight, I ended up, um, well, just after my fourth fight, I tore the cartilage in my wrist, uh, in my left wrist. Um, mm. Looking like I was going to be out for a while, I was sort of looking at having some surgery on my wrist, which didn't happen in the end, thankfully. But it was sort of, I was, and then I was give, offered a fight, which I, I mean, and I'd got fat, I won't lie, I'd got fat <laughs> at this time. I was offered a fight, rushed back into it a bit, killed the weight a bit wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up losing in a fight which I thought I won the fight to be honest yeah. but I lost uh, the decision and again that was like another kick up the ass really because um, I'd, I'd sort of lost a bit of that discipline you know? yeah yeah and like say that tenacious side of it side of me it was sort of like once I turned pro I turned pro on high winning the AVAs and then you know at the time, signed with a big promoter. I was fighting on Sky. My first few fights and things like that, and sort of. You need to stay hungry in that. Yeah, in like, that instance, because people think, "Well, you're sort of there now. You got yeah. to, that's when it counts the most. Exactly. That's when you got to stay switched. You have to stay at it yeah. because it's it's kind of like I've made it, and it's, yeah. in reality, no, this is just yeah, the beginning. A long way off. Yeah, <laughs> just just the beginning of a whole new journey now. Yeah, you know, absolutely. but uh, so you for me going back years ago I can remember seeing it and your style suits being a pro boxer more than it does being an amateur boxer yeah. you know your style's very it's aggressive I, I mean maybe your style would or wouldn't have been the same anyway without the herbs but it's aggressive it comes forward you land that big left you land you know you hit the body nice you roll under really well all stuff that I think you, is lost on I'm not a massive fan of amateur boxing lots of boxing fans love it because that was real technical boxing and it's real yeah. and I'm like but, but it's technical within the parameters of trying to score, score points yeah. I like being technical within the parameters of someone's going to knock my head off or yeah. someone's trying to you know yeah. so for me when I watch boxing I like to see pro boxing and guys who are really technical within pro boxing so watching your start it always seemed like this is a pro boxer style and you know, that big that big left if it lands and the way you come in with your jab I thought yeah it's a really nice pro boxing style yeah I think so I think I'm more suited to the pros um, I've always sort of liked to sort of use my brain a bit more as well yeah. you know in over a three round fight as an amateur it's more like a sprint you don't have time to really yeah. you know, have a look at everything and use your brain yeah. and use your 
you know, like we were talking about that tenacity. In a three-round fight, you can get through a three-round fight. You yeah. can get through a three-round fight, really. You know, yeah. any, but you know what I mean? It's like these, like I say, about these white-collar things where they do yeah. these, you know, people train for 12 weeks and um, have a three-round fight, and they're all right. They get through it, you know, half of them. This on this point, I'm gonna to have to mention because this bugs me with the with the white collar thing. Is it people can't seem to? So if you go and have a if you go and play for a local pub team, a game of football, you're not then telling all your mates and acting as if you play for Man United. Yeah. But if you have a ten week training camp and do a white collar fight, why does why do people believe that they're a top level boxer? I don't I don't get it. Like so for me, I've boxed for. 20 years probably 18 years and I've sparred well I mean I've sparred like a Sab Judah I've sparred like most pros from Bristol most a lot of ex-pros from Bristol I know I'm not a pro boxer I've boxed for a long time mm. there's not if I'm ready to fight there's not many pro boxers who are fitter than me or you know I do a lot different diverse training so I know what level I'm at in that side of it but if you if I was to box a pro boxer, I'm not a pro boxer. I'd expect to lose nine out of ten pro boxing matches that I have, and that's with nearly twenty years' experience. What people think ten weeks of hitting a bag and hitting pads mm. with their mates and having one white collar fight, they're delusion. Into yeah. yeah, and I think there needs to be there needs to, this needs to be understood. People need to start realizing that. Listen, you can pay thirty pound and go and watch your mate who's yeah. doing a white collar fight, but don't think he's Ricky Atten or whoever I mean it's not it's a very different thing you know you don't go and watch a mate kick a football around and think that he's David Beckham or you know enter generic football player but uh, yeah it's just crazy that people have this little they, yeah. they, they sign up because they're fat and they're overweight they sign up to do 10 weeks on a zero to hero or whatever they do it but now they're no longer fat and overweight now they're the next heavyweight champion of the world you yeah know? it's crazy I mean I, I think it does some really good bits for people definitely on a, on a personal level mm-hmm. to them they can have a great bit out of it it can turn some people say you know turn their life around yeah they found boxing they realize how good it is um and this that and the other and it helps them with a lot of stuff yeah brilliant but you're not you're not uh, or the same sort of no. it's not the same thing you know i mean i was um brought up the way around in our gym was uh, you could be there for two or three years before you have a fight because you're not yeah. good enough you know you watch some of the people fighting now and yeah like i say it's great for them to have that experience and everything like that and get a lot out of it because you got in the ring and had a windmill you know a handbag competition with someone doesn't make you a, a yeah. boxer I mean it doesn't you know it's I mean, very I'm different I'm not saying that everyone's like that because some of them are brilliant and we've done a few couple of programs yeah. coaching and uh, some of the guys you know it was really rewarding in a sense with some of them but then some of them think oh, I'm, a top, I'm a good level boxer now. Yeah, yeah. it's like you're not you know yeah. you've had a couple of white collar fights and you go down there you spar with one of the 16 year old amateurs we get yeah, here and yeah. you have a glove on them exactly and I mean you can, you'll can you know if, if you're a level where you're thinking is Andy putting you into spar with the pros because yeah. well, you're not a pro level boxer yeah. so, I mean that's, it's as simple as that yeah. you're just not and I Listen, I think everyone should box or everyone should do MMA or everyone should do be it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Every single person should have some involvement in some kind of martial art at some point in their life. Mm. Probably just stay away from the traditional ones, but they should because A, it kills, it sort of levels out your bullshit meter 
you realise like you yeah. can be as full of shit as you want, but the second you step on the mat and we're doing jujitsu and I can choke you, the bullshit's over. The second you're talking like you're Billy Big Bollocks to your mates, but you've got a lace a pair of gloves up and you're stood facing someone, they're mm. going to punch you, and the, the bullshit's gone. You know. So I think everybody should, for that reason, a for fitness. If you're struggling to find the enthusiasm to go to the gym and walk on the treadmill, come in at pads. Come and do three minute rounds on the pads or hit a bag or you know you should do something it i think it really benefits people's lives and these things like zero to heroes and stuff they benefit people's lives but at the same time it can and it has taken away from from the professional side of boxing you know yeah i mean and especially the thing that winds me up about it i mean those sort of programs aren't as bad it's the the the, the worst bit of it is that I, well in my opinion uh, some of the shows you get now where they're just white collar shows fair enough you get half well probably 75, 80% of the fighters on there know what it is. They don't think nothing of themselves. Yeah. They're doing this because they enjoy it and they do it because they want to do it and it's great for them. You get a few on there who won some belt that's been bought off of eBay. You know, I'm now the intercontinental Commonwealth champion of Bristol yeah. and all of a sudden think they are something. You that's something on Facebook now. Work, ex-champion, it's so-and-so. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I won the English title as a pro, that was a big deal to be English champion as a professional boxer. Yeah. There was other, you know, people, English, you know, advertising English titles on white collar shows, and there's people saying, "Oh, that's the same title you've got in it, Joe." And it's just like, oh, it's like I've had seventy amateur fights. Yeah. I've had however many as a pro. This and the other, been doing it my whole life. They've had two. That's their debut. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. Out fighting for an English title. Yeah. And I understand the promotion. Done three two it. minute rounds. Yeah, it sells. You know, it sells tickets to their mates down the pub and things like that. And yeah, whatever. people. Look, I've had it before. Like, oh, do you know so and so? I'm like, mm, no. Like, oh, he's got like eleven world titles. I'm like, then he hasn't got yeah. a single world title. Yeah. Like, anyone who's got eleven world titles mm. at any of the combat sports will be so well known. Yeah. Oh, you mean Floyd Mayweather? Yeah. Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If if yeah. we do, if this guy's not on question of sport, yeah. like he's a no. This is a no one. If he's got eleven world titles, yeah. he doesn't have a single world mm. title. I remember. So I fought for uh, Tear Up. They said, "Oh, will you fight for a world title?" I was like, well, I'll fight for a title. They're like, no, it's our world title. I was like, then you have to get me a foreign opponent. Yeah. I was like, I'm not fighting for a world title and fighting anyone from England. Otherwise, that's an English title. Like, mm. just call it, like, it's just a title. Just okay. Just call it the tear up title. Yeah, it's a tear up, yeah, tear up lightweight title. Yeah. So they did. They flew in a guy. He was ranked like four places above me. He was from France. He flew over. I beat him. I'm still just tear up lightweight champion. I'm never yeah. telling people I'm, I'm the world, world champion. Like, no, yeah. because. Tear up world lightweight champion. Oh, where did tear up? Well, they're always in Bristol. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're the tear up world lightweight champion of Bristol. Yeah, yeah. Like well, so you're, gonna fight, you're a lightweight champion. You're gonna fight Khabib next, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're gonna fight the belt. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, I just, you know, my my, I don't you don't. I've not got pictures of my belts because to me the belt doesn't mean anything. It's no. I beat a guy who was ranked four places above me in the rankings, put me into the top ten in Europe by beating this guy. That's all that, that mattered. Not my deadly belt that cost 60 quid to be made yeah. it done they don't even hold your trousers up no exactly but and I, I'm a professional athlete I trained I know for a fact because of where I was training I was training as hard as any UFC fighter who was training for a fight yeah. the fight was 5-5 five, five minute round fight not a they like oh three fives I'm like, no if it's a title fight it's 5-5 five, five yeah. minute round you tell them we're doing 5-5s five, mm. so they did they spoke to him and I trained for 5-5s five, because I wanted to know in my head I've trained like a because mm. if it's three fives even though I say I'm Ed, I'm going to train like I'm training for five, you won't. If you know you're fighting five fives, you'll train so you could do seven, you know? You'll yeah. just push it. So 
I just made sure this is listen I want to be so, and I was a professional athlete and I still realised yeah, this is a fucking Mickey Mouse belt well, yeah. it's all about the the, the only people who care about those moody belts are the people who don't realise what the belts mm. are worth and then they they walk down the nightclub with them on that yeah. night, that Saturday night, walking around with it over their yeah. shoulder, and or they're still walking around on Monday with the wraps on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and like you say with the rounds. So in title fights now, the well, the level I'm fighting now, we do 12 three minute rounds in boxing, mm-hmm. which is you know it takes a lot to train for. Yeah. You know, there you see these world title fights, and it's five two minute rounds of things like yeah, that. Yeah. And you think you're both from Bristol. You live two miles down the road from each other. But, you know, fair play to them. Yeah. But like I say, not every, not all the fighters doing it. A lot of the fighters doing it know what they're doing. And yeah, fair enough. But there is a few. Yeah, and the, the, you need to wake up and smell mm. the reality. Listen, if you're if you're boxing on a white collar fight, you're not a professional athlete. I guarantee you're not training like a professional athlete. You're not at the caliber of a professional athlete. If you were, you'd be boxing pro. Yeah, like, exactly. And there might be the odd person out there who can't get a pro boxing license, and they're as good enough, and they're. But they're very few and far between. And if you're listening to this podcast, this isn't you. Definitely, it's you know, and do it. Everybody should do it. Train, train like Absolutely. you, like you want to do. For, do it, but yeah, just I be realistic. It to my friends, have a go at it. You know, yeah. you, you don't want to put the effort into boxers and amateur. Well, why don't you do one of these programs? You know, have a go, see what it's like. Get in there, give you yeah. an appreciation for it. You know, like you say, everyone should have a go at it. I think everyone should. You know, get in the ring at least once in their life. You know, it's a hell of a buzz. You know, do it yeah. for that. Enjoy and if you go, if you get in there and you have, say, you have a three minute boxing match and you win, go again. Try yeah. and lose. Like box your best, but if you lose, you're going to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fuck, I tried my best and I fucking I lost it. Something. Sure, and if you yeah. lose, try again and win. But it's conversely, see both sides of the coin. You know, yeah. like let it fucking hurt when you lose, but then you realize it didn't kill me. Yeah, I lost. It really broke my heart and. It, but it didn't kill me, so that means I can definitely do better, or I can do the same again. Yeah, I mean, again. we, um, a few of the young lads here that train uh, young amateurs, um, uh, speaking on the subject of losing, mm-hmm. um, I coach a few of the young amateurs, stuff like that, and they'll say to me, you know, oh, I'm really nervous, I'm really worried about losing um, in front of people. I don't want, you know, obviously amateur shows are the same as pro. They need to bring people in yeah. watching so that we can keep the club running. And they say, oh, I don't really want people to come and watch because I'm worried I'll lose in front of them. Yeah. And it's like, well, we, you should sort of got to try and talk them into at least, you know, at least get your family to come along. We need people to keep the club yeah. But I'm worried about losing. I say, well, why, what, what do you think is going to change tomorrow if you lose? You have your fight tonight, what's going to happen tomorrow? Uh, I don't know. And so what's the, you know, your parents aren't going to disown you. Your friends yeah. aren't going to not like you anymore. I've, I've, I've had a fight, um, I fought on Channel 5. They get about a million viewers for their fight night show and I lost and I didn't box very well. And I lost the fight. What happened the next day? You know, my family still loves me. My friends still taking exactly. the piss out of me. Yeah, but who can? Yeah. You know, and I say that to the young lads. You know, it's you've got to lose. You yeah. know, at times, and you're like, otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. You know, especially at that age. Yeah. You know, it's got it's part of it. Isn't that, it? It's and the only people, experience. like people, are, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. Like, Listen, the only people who are going to judge you for losing are the people whose opinion don't matter anyway. Yeah. Who've never done it. Their, yeah, any, their any, opinion does not matter. If, if somebody went down the local pub and was like, oh, do you see Joe box? He lost. Someone's yeah. going to be like, yeah, but he's a fucking professional athlete. Yeah. He was boxing like mm. God knows where in front of so many people. What were you doing last night when yeah, you were watching? Sat and on that's, the sofa. Yeah, no one gives a fuck what your opinion is. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, I, I realised that would, when you when you coach fighters and you walk them out to a cage or a ring or and every, I see it that people get nervous I'm weird with nerves I don't really get nervous and I wish I got more nervous but I see people and I'm like you're right and they're like 
nervous. It's alright to be nervous, but don't be afraid. Like, do not be scared. Like, there's not no matter what happens here, the any scenario that happens in the cage or the ring, you've seen a million times. You're prepared for one hundred percent. You're prepared for that. And what happens? What happens afterwards? We like yeah. That, you've done it. There's not nothing's going to happen. You're not going to walk out and then the whole is going to get swallowed up. You're not yeah. a gladiator. You're not going to fight to the death. You're going to come out of there and then you're going to be a bigger, stronger person for what you've been through. And that's going to help you deal with whatever happens. We're going to go out there and we're just going to enjoy and do what we do. Mm, and they absolutely. go out there and they do it. And even if they lost, it breaks people's heart. I mean, I've lost. I've, mm. it, I've lost a few times. And I can remember the first time I lost it. Fucking hurt. And I remember the last time I lost it. It fucking hurt. But at the same time, you get out the next day and you think, you think, fuck this, I'm not doing it again. You pack up or you mm. think, right, what went wrong? Yeah. Analyse what went. And that's how you move forward, you know? Look, losing's not a bad thing. It's just not from any sport unless you're fighting for a world title and it's going to make or break. But even if you lose at world title level, if you're fighting for a world title yeah. and you lose, you've reached the pinnacle. Yeah, big deal, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you're second yeah. best to the guy who's now yeah, the, the, world cha- the, cha- the world champion. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I think it's big to understand that people, so many people don't get out of their comfort zone because they're scared. They're, they're scared of... It's not even scared of getting punched in the face or getting hurt. Mm. They're scared of letting somebody yeah, down or something. Failure, yeah. Really, yeah. The, the failure, which in reality is what makes you stronger than winning. Mm. If you went through your whole career and you'd won every fight, you're, there's no way you'd be as strong a boxer or a person as you are now yeah. for the losses that you've had, you know? No, yeah, absolutely. And you sort of become complacent and you don't really care as much. You keep winning, yeah, so what? I won yeah. everything. It's blasé, isn't it? You know, you lose a few. I mean, for instance, like this last title I won, European title, I fought for it last year as well and I lost fighting yeah. for it, you know? So winning it this time was that much sweeter. Yeah, and that's part of life, isn't it? So, what was it like when you get the call about the European title? So, how were it's a was it a mandatory? You were mandatory to fight for the title, or how? Yeah, did, it was yeah. this time. Yeah, the, the kid I lost to last year, Anthony, um, he gave up the title to box for the world title. Yeah. Um, so the title then became vacant. The EBU luckily put me forward as one of the challengers, and Andreas Scarpa, who I boxed for it, as the other challenger. Um, it then you know was had to get sorted out promotionally, this that and the other. Mm and Matchroom ended up doing it but that, this is all over a course of a couple of months um, when we found out about it it's all oh, brilliant you know because this year has been a bit hasn't been great really with the boxing mm-hmm. um, I boxed uh, like I say I lost for the European title last December um, I then had a comeback fight um, early February which I won and then the rest of the year I was trying to get a shot at the British title and it w- wasn't materialising the, the British border control wouldn't put me up for it even though I boxed for the British title in a fight I thought I won everyone thought I won the fight and it was a day scored as a draw I thought I'd get another shot at it but they didn't um, but but yeah anyway then luckily this came up with the, the EBU title the European title uh, which I was really excited about so it was sort of yeah straight on the straight on the case straight out run out track, which I've been training all year because I thought well you know if something's going to come up it's going to be a short notice thing yeah um, you know so just see what happens try and stay in shape as best as I can and then when this eventually came up it was like yeah good all this training has been worth it you know I haven't been doing it for nothing you know? yeah yeah um, and then you know we managed to actually win the fight which was you know even better dominantly you know? yeah well. like, I, I was watching you know and it was uh, it was dominant you, yeah like Scarpa's a good boxer and you but you just couldn't you were so like that he couldn't live with your aggression his style was not he wasn't front he didn't have enough power to stop you coming forward and you just yeah you look so dominant watching it you know? yeah it I mean, never... he, he was a tricky boxer i mean yeah. he was big tall long mm-hmm. you know he's pretty skillful 
He's a former WBC Silver World Champion, which is sort of just a step down from the proper belt. Yeah. Sort of like you having that belt sort of puts you in line for a shot at the world title. Yeah. Um, so he's you know he's at that level, um, and but I'd watched a few of his fights before, and some of his fights he looks really really good. And then I saw another one of his fights, and he got caught quite early with a big shot, and he sort of switched off. And I thought, right, that's what I've got to try and do is try and just yeah. from the beginning, don't let him get into it at all, because sort of when he got into it, he sort of switches on and he can look really good. Um, so we sort of managed to, and it all went to plan. You know, I caught him a few. You know, I beat him at range. We knew that like I was always going to be better at him in close because yeah. he's this big, tall, long guy, and he wants to keep you away and keep you long with. And I'm better at long range than people give me. You yeah, know, you're expect. Yeah. So I thought if I can beat him at long range, he's at it. You know, and if I can hurt him with a few shots at that range, you know, some solid jabs, a few hooks, things like that, then he's going to switch off as well and go into a shell a bit, which he did, and you know, it it worked out really well. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a. I, I I watched it, and I mean I've watched most of your fights, but I uh, I watched and you were just doing some stuff. Like your jab, your jab's really nice anyway. Um, but you would I'd expect you to have a nice jab. You're a short guy, but your jabs, your left hand's your dominant hand. So you would kind of think that if you just heard your story, oh, I bet he's got a good jab. But you got a really nice jab, and then you were throwing shots like uh, you'd throw a little combination, you'd get inside, and on the exit you'd catch him with something, and then. You'd catch him on the exit, but then he'd take another step back, and there'd be another longer shot coming, like a an extended hook would come, you know. And mm. I, I was, uh, I was watching. I was like, "Fuck, man!" Just catching him everywhere, like in close. He was, he was screwed. And then you just start clipping him with these little hooks on, like when he's right outside, stepping right out. Yeah, it was nice, really nice to watch. I uh, appreciate real appreciation of your long, of your longer boxing mm. style, you know. Yeah, which was, a lot of people don't think I really have, you know, watching me. Being the size I am, you think right, you know, as you would, you know, unless you look into it deeper. Why would you yeah. think any anything different, really? But think I'm just going to come forward, have a scrap, hooks, uppercut, this sort of stuff, wailing away with one hand, trying to do what I can do. But I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't have won what I did as an amateur because that is the tip tappy point scoring. Exactly, thing. yeah. And you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if that was all I could do. And I think I think I'm actually better at it than I can be just you know having a fight to be honest. Um, and and it worked really well, especially against someone like him who really I shouldn't have been able to out jab. I mean, his, yeah. his reach must have been you know a lot longer than mine. Yeah. And I was able to out jab him. Like you say, I'm quite good. Like you can't really see it from the outside. Someone like yourself who knows more about it, the sport would, you can see it. But that range of like you know being able to catch him when he has stepped back, you have yeah. to make little adjustments so that you can land those shots and they don't fall short and different things like that. And I'm normally. You know, so far I'm okay. I'll be, I'll be, I'm all right at that. I can yeah. sort of judge it. You, you were hitting him with jabs as well. It were really pushing his head back. That's the thing for me is, like, somebody might land jabs, but when you're hitting someone with jabs, it's forcing someone's head back. It means your range is really good, you know? Like, mm. it's not just a hard jab. If you're pushing someone's head back, you have to be in a really good range. And I watched and just looking in the, way, the amount of times you would just slip through and push his head back. Just watching for that's a, that's a fucking good jab. And... The range must be really good, and you're not getting hit. You didn't get hit a lot in that fight. Do you know what I mean? So someone who's long doesn't throw stupid shots. He's not one of these guys who's long but throws yeah. sixteen punch combinations open to land two. Yeah. He's quite precise with what he throws, yeah. and he's got this little um. He throws like a little nice one two left up, like a little left like mm. quick boom 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 boom, yeah. and he went landing it with you. Or mm. as he threw it, you're checking it and throwing your left up, and you were catching him. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, I like. I think that was a. Uh, the best that I've seen you box, I think, because the caliber of opponent looked really sharp as well. Yeah. You know, so when I was watching, I was like, "Fuck, Joe just looks so much better than him." Yeah. 
at a level that I know he's very high level and you look so much better than him, you know? Yeah. It was good, great performance. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, from there, what, what now? What's uh, I'm not 100% sure, but it's looking likely probably that I'll be end up boxing a guy called Robbie Davis Jr. Yeah, I've said that. Who's got the British title. Well, he did have the British and the Commonwealth titles. Um, yeah. I think he's had to give the Commonwealth up due to the mandatory yeah. uh, defence that he's got, uh, had to do. Um, but I think so he's given that up. And I think that's going to be the next fight. I'm not sure when, not sure for sure if it will be that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but that's a possibility. And then hopefully after that, you know, if, as long as I win, sky's the limit, really. Yeah, yeah. Once you're, once you're the European champion, the next step up is the world title. Yeah. And not one of these world titles where you're boxing someone from uh, <laughs> Bristol, you know, a genuine world title. And, you know, if, if I can do that, you know, you know, being the European champion is sort of something that um, <clears throat> I never thought I'd get, you know. Um, when I, you know, especially through, when we the first term pro, yeah, I was like, yeah, well, I want to go for a world title, this, that, and the other. And as everyone does, it's sort of, sort of a dream. But to me, it was like, well, I'll try and go as far as I can. The goal to me was always to get to the British title and yeah. win the British title. But now I won the European title, which is bigger than that. There's only one more step up, yeah. which is that world title. So I mean, that's the, what I'd love to get, and you know, yeah. to to win a world title, you know, with with one arm really. Is, yeah. Um, is is some, to box for a world title with one arm. Yeah, I mean, just to win the it's European title is I mean, phenomenal. Many, yeah. I, I mean, at the moment, I'm the only British fighter with a European title. Yeah. Um, uh, as we speak, um, there is these. There are some silly European titles banded about now in pro boxing yeah. some of the different organisations that have brought one out like in the last year just to try and get some more sanction fees yeah, yeah. Um, which aren't real European well they're not jet the real European title is the EVU one that's been yeah. around forever yeah. Um, so yeah so the next one up would be a world title and that's what I would you know love to get and fingers crossed if I can you know win my next fight um, so you had what was it one fight last year you had or two. two I had one in February um, against a Spanish kid he was a tough kid to be fair I mean he had a big punch and didn't, didn't really want to get caught with him but in yeah. a bizarre situation um, he pulled out at, after the sixth round he was supposed to be an eight rounder but at the end of the six he's, they said that's the end and we were like what? what's yeah. going on? he said oh, I was only a sixth rounder I'm like what's not? I'm about. I mean I won every round at this point yeah, yeah. Um, but it was sort of it was a bit of I don't know lost in translation but <laughs> I don't really know what happened but all the paperwork said eight rounds to us it was an yep. eight round beginning it was always going to be eight rounds and then they were in the ring saying well we want another uh, another two rounds or something if we wanted to uh, you know, win the ring it's the fight's on six rounds already yeah like mm. so the referee was just like no but you decisively won that. Yeah, I won every round up to that point, and you yeah. know I was catching my big shots and that. But he was a tough kid, wasn't he? I didn't yeah. want to get. He was a big puncher, um, yeah, yeah. Spanish guy, and knocked a few out cold. And it was sort of one of those. It was a tough fight, um, but I was winning comfortably. And They're nice though, them, aren't they? Because you have to <coughs> use your brain. You know, like it's mm. the brawn's gone. And listen, if I hit you, I'm going to put you away. Yeah, I know that. Mm. But at the same time, I don't want to fucking get hit. By yeah, you. I mean, he was a bigger puncher than I am. Yeah, um, he was probably one of the biggest punches I fought, even though he wasn't technically one of the best fighters I fought. Um, he was sort of one of those uh, going into fight where I, I was like. I, I've never been one for uh, in boxing you always fight journeyman early on in yeah. your career it's just you know it just happens yeah it's part of boxing to build up your record so they can sell you to the public uh, as we were talking about earlier for selling tickets and stuff like that but I could never motivate myself to train for that it was never yeah. uh, just I just never have been able to and Andy knows that so he's like right well we've managed to get you this Spanish kid um, he's, he, I think he was six and two, something like that. So not really. So he, you know, he wasn't as experienced as me. He wasn't at the level I've been fighting at. But he said, but like, but watch these videos of him. 
and he's knocking yeah. these people cold in these wins. Yeah. Oh my god! And even the loss he'd had, like, he dropped the kid and nearly had him out and yeah. stuff like that. So it was sort of like, oh well, I have got to be on the game. Yeah. I don't want a journeyman hand, but yeah, fuck. exactly. Yeah, I don't want a journeyman. <laughs> what side are you yeah. on? Exactly. Yeah, it was sort of like, well, you know, I should be able to box him and be careful and not get caught. And if I wanted to be at the level I'm at, then I have to beat people like that. You know, yeah, yeah. And beat him decisively. Which I did in the end, but it was one of those where I was at least the motivation was there because I was like, well, if I'm switched off or if I'm not training hard, I'm gonna yeah, exactly. Back, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. Like, I I get uh, I couldn't. I'd rather not fight again. Like I'm hopefully gonna fight March. Like that's my plan if I can stay healthy. But I couldn't fight to fight someone with a losing record or it was crap or. So I'm, I just, for me, it takes too much sacrifice, especially now having a job and that. So I'm like. Mm. I'd just rather just go paragliding. Do you know yeah. I mean? Like, I'll just go paragliding or I'll go base jumping. Fuck it. Like, you know, I I fight not so that people are going to pat me on the back and say, hey, where's that another mm. fight? I fight because I want to fight the best people mm. that I can fight, you know? So, of course, when I come back, I'm off a two-year layoff. When I come back, I'll be sensible to fight. I might get offered a top 10 in Europe guy. I'm not fighting him. Yeah. Like, I've had two years out of the cage. Do you know I mean, yeah. of course I'm not going to fight a guy from like that, but I'm going to fight someone who... Listen, if you fuck up, you're going to, yeah. you know, I'll fight BJJ Black Belt maybe or I'll fight someone who, if I make mistakes, lose, yeah. I'll get caught. Yeah, yeah, that's how it should be. I can't make mistakes or if I do make mistakes, I can't make more than one because I should be out of there, you yeah, know? Otherwise, what is the point? Exactly. And, that's and the in boxing, like I say, because it's the business side of it, they give you these journeymen to build up your record and like, I look, thankfully, I mean, I haven't really fought many. Uh, to be honest but you do end up fighting and especially on smaller shows because you can't afford bigger opponents and yeah i've never been the biggest ticket seller in the world i mean i get like a loyal group of loyal you know not fans they're my friends really yeah you yeah. know that people that come and watch me and friends and family and stuff like that uh, but i've never been one of these fighters that sells 300 tickets which yeah. you know the level i'm fighting at now i need to be selling five six hundred tickets to pay yeah. for an opponent that's suitable in terms of similar ranking to me so like that fight it was sort but of that like, never happens if guys are active if you're active that's not going to happen because nobody wants to come see you fight four times a year no, exactly. and spend the same money over and over again you know yeah but if you're winning the way that you are winning and like convincingly like outboxing people in boxing matches where it is like a 50 50 or it's you know you're looking you're thinking fuck now this guy's got all the tools to to beat joe so joe's gonna have to have worked hard then yeah. you know and, and i'm lucky i'm in a lucky position now i mean i won that european title as the away fighter yeah uh, on a match room there's a match room and this italian promoter called opi mm-hmm. um their show and now I've won that match room want to promote my next fight as well yeah. so I haven't got a sell ticket you know I still want to bring as many fans as I can because it's great for me when you're in the ring and everyone's shouting for you and everything it spurs you on yeah of course and, you know, yeah. and of course <coughs> the more you sell the more you earn so of course I want to bring as many people as I can yeah. but um, for instance that fight I had in February I didn't earn any money out of it because the tickets I sold we had to pay the opponent yeah. Um, I didn't sell enough. It wasn't, you know, I just fought for the European title. Having a comeback fight, an eight-rounder against someone new and has a clue who, they, who he is. Mm-hmm. People didn't want to come and watch, you know, yeah, not yeah. as many people. Um, and fair enough, I just hard earned money. I'm not, you know, saying people should have to come and watch or anything like that, but it's hard work. Um, so luckily now, with uh, hopefully the match room put on my next fight, hopefully my next few fights, it's sort of a bit of pressure off of that because that's something a lot of people don't understand about pro boxing especially on a local level is all the fighters have to sell yeah, the tickets yeah. people as soon as you turn pro people think you're a millionaire you know you're yeah, exactly. a professional yeah. sportsman yeah. So, yeah i'm a professional boxer but i'm not a professional footballer yeah, exactly you know? yeah um 
so the way it works what people don't seem to realize and i guess it's similar in mma i'm not really sure as much but you get a purse you have an opponent's purse and then you have the money that goes into the house which goes towards the costs everything like that and the promoter's cut you have to sell um that much money in tickets so for instance say a pro starting out they probably earn a thousand pound a fight yeah um the opponent depending on how many rounds it is say it's a four round fight they may have and the opponent be getting anywhere between a thousand pounds and like i say depends how good the the uh, prospect is but usually about a thousand pounds so if that's 30 pounds a ticket that's what 30 odd 40 odd tickets they yeah. sell just to cover that the house normally wants about a grand in sales so that's another 30 40 tickets so that's 80 tickets and then if you want and you want to start earning some money you've got or you know you've got to sell on top of that to earn your money yeah and you know all of a sudden and that's a thousand you know and, and if you do that you get even if you sold 200 tickets, you still get your thousand pounds and then you get um maybe 10 percent of the tickets you sold so you might end up with 1100 pound yeah. you've got to pay 25 percent of that to your manager 10 percent of that to your trainer you've trained your ass off for three months and you've earned 700 quid yeah. you know take away your medical fees which uh every year is like seven eight hundred pounds because you have to have a brain scan full medical blood tests eye tests everything like that you have to pay your board fee for your license you know you have to have two or three of them fights yeah. before you start earning any money and you've you know so it's, it's it is a bit trickier than people understand um and which is why i think you know it'd be nice going back to white collar i don't want to sound like i'm slanging it off but you know they people watching that they think well i've watched that show i've been i've seen boxing yeah, exactly they realize yeah. they're watching a different thing but at the same time some of the pro shows shoot themselves in the foot by having yeah you've got prospects on one side of the card just pure journeymen who aren't even trying to win on the other side of the card um and it's boring you know and i mean andy's when he we've done shows we always try and have you know competitive fights as yeah. best as we can uh but not not always you can't always have it and you know, a lot of promoters don't. They're not bothered as long as you sell them the tickets. But it is hard to sell the tickets if you're fighting someone. You know, here's what it is. But then it makes people come. You know, they don't want. They've seen. They've been to a show for twenty pounds for. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's just. Yeah, and uh, you know, like, eighty uh, percent of people who are at a boxing show aren't boxing fans. No, exactly. They're just fans. Of, of exactly. People. Yeah. So it's. But, but if any of your friends are pro boxers or. Yeah. Buy a ticket off of support them, yeah. them. Even if you don't go to the fight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just support yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, like MMA's. Uh, look, it's a weird one with MMA. I think MMA needs more rules and stuff, and more medical enforcement, etc. To stop every Tom, Dick, and Harry being an MMA fighter mm. or saying they're an MMA fighter. Like I, I get offered fights. Oh, main event on this fight, right? Yeah. So what's that mean? Oh well, pay like five hundred pound. No, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I've been doing this for 15 years, you're offering me 500 quid. Yeah, yeah. 500 quid and 50% ticket sales. I'm like, it's all very well, but your fight's in Newcastle, I'm yeah. from Bristol. Yeah, there? so what am I going to sell? So, you're, uh, 500 quid, like, come on, I've I fought all over the world, you know? Like, yeah. 22 professional fights all over the world, fought on TV shows, fought... And you're offering, well, the thing is, Wes, venue only all to 3,000 people, and uh, I'll sell that out anyway, whether you're on the card or not. And you're like, I get it. You, what's the point in paying me two grand mm. when you can pay someone five hundred quid and sell the same amount of tickets? Yeah. I get what you're saying. Businessman, yeah. Yeah, from from a business point of view, I get it. But then please don't be on Facebook and tell people that you're in it for the love of the yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah. Because you're in it to make money. Yeah. yeah, it's that simple. Like, uh, I, I can't turn up and fight for you for five hundred quid. I can't do it because it's cost me way more than yeah. two grand. I would maybe turn up and fight because I haven't fought for a while, but. I'm still losing money. Yeah. 
I'm just doing it because I understand. Fees. Yeah, I'm just doing it because I'm yeah, understanding that you know you're not going to make any money by giving me two grand. I'm not going to ask you for fucking eight grand because I know you you'd bankrupt yourself. Yeah. So we have to be logical, but at the same time. I'm not going to lose money while other people make money Absolutely. and I'm the one getting punched and kicked in the head. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. But I do think that the sh- more stringent licensing laws around medicals, etc., will wean those people out who don't want to invest in their career. You know, they like, oh, £800 for a medical? Fuck that, I'm not going to yeah. bother. You know, and it wean, we, will wean people out. You know? mm. and, and it's, it's just safer. safer. Oh, yeah, yeah and it's much safer. the British Boxing Board control. <clears throat> I mean, they do a few things which are, um, I weren't so keen on just because they haven't given me certain chances I would have liked. Yeah. But they're probably the safest in the world when it comes to, um, you know, the medical side of stuff and brain scans. You have to have your brain scan every year. Yeah. Things like that. And that's so important. You know, there's so many boxers get picked up with tiny little things yeah. and lose their license, which is devastating for them. But it's a lot less devastating than spending the rest of your life with yeah. brain damage because you've just had a fight where you've earned 700 quid. Yeah. You know? And it, having this three hundred pound scan, you know, two or three months before has saved your life, you know. Yeah. You know, so it's. I, mean, I, I think good. as well, just you know, a thousand pound a year, let's say, and that's it's not going to be a thousand pound a year. But if you're in a, in combat sports to the point that you're fighting professionally, MMA, whatever, put a thousand pound a year to go and have an MRI of your brain, yeah. which can even pick up. Listen, you've got some early signs of maybe like MS. Like I went to a doctor the other day, and I had my I got scanned a few a while back because of my neck and because of the symptoms with MS obviously I know them because of my mum um, I said to him listen can you just have a look and see if they did like MS checks and stuff on the brain etc but yeah checked everything your brain scan was completely clear I mean I said the other day it's months ago now checked everything but I thought well if I'm having my brain scan done for not for something that doesn't connect mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure they've checked for MS. I'm going to make sure they've checked for this. I'm going to make yeah, so for me now if I'm fighting every year if, I've, if I'm active and I know I'm fighting next year I'm getting a, a, a scan MRI scan. Yeah. If I got to pay four or five hundred quid out of my own pocket, I'm doing it because I guarantee you when I get it on the chin and I'm in a coma, I'm going to wish I'd had that brain scan. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And if, you, if you're if in there and they say, well, there's this pre-existing thing here we found. If you hadn't have had this fight, you know, we saw, well, you could have seen this two years ago. Yeah. We were talking about the fight and you have done. You know, that's your choice then, isn't it? Yeah, but at exactly. least you're not thinking, oh, well, if only I'd known. Exactly. Yeah, and it isn't worth it. I don't care what anyone says. They think you know, but it's not worth. There's it. no. I, yeah. I, for me, it's not worth it. If you're already world champion and you're at the top of the game, and there's like, listen, like your first defense or something, and there's yeah. ten million quid at stake, yeah. you'd maybe weigh up like, oh, but yeah. it's a risk. Is it worth taking it? To me, yeah. it wouldn't be. No, exactly. But yeah. To some people, it would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm of the exact the same opinion because. I do so many other different things like this. I love doing this. Um, I love to read. I love to fly my paragliders. I love to go base jumping and do. So I understand as much as it. As much as I hate thinking about not fighting again, I understand there's life away from fighting. Absolutely. You know, and eventually, no. The greatest fighter at one time in the world in MMA was Anderson Silva. Everyone, you've probably heard of yeah, Anderson Silva. Everyone spoke about Anderson. The greatest. Guys, now don't you mention Silva? It's like they don't even recognise the name. No. George St Pierre. People are like, uh, did he fight Bisping? You're like, he's one of the greatest yeah, MMA yeah. fighters of all time, and they don't know the name because the times pass. You have to realise that yeah. your legacy is only important to you. Yeah. So you have to weigh things up and say, you know what, it's it's too important to me, so I'm going to spend the money and get looked at, or it's not important enough to risk the damage. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And make that decision for yourself.
But um, Joe, listen, there's loads that I would have loved to touch on, but there's classes going on. We've been at it for an hour and a half or so now. There's a few things I want to check out. I want to know your thoughts on Fury Wilder before we go. Yeah. What do you well, think? I thought Fury won the fight. Mm-hmm. I thought it was because um, of the two knockdowns made it a lot closer than you know it it would have been if he hadn't gone down, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that made it tricky with the scoring, especially over in America when you go away somewhere like America you're sort of up against it already yeah. uh, like I was in Italy you know, yeah, they, yeah. Gave one, they still gave it you know, we just spoke about how dominant the fight was they still gave him one of the uh, yeah. one of the judges gave him the fight anyway yeah so that's difficult I thought Fury won it's, it's a shame they didn't win the decision but you know it is, that's boxing hopefully they'll have a rematch and they'll earn even more money out of it because you know that's what they deserve but, yeah 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 exactly at least they didn't give it to Wilder yeah. That's the, that was one thing, yeah. yeah. That that's there's some solace in the fact that the fact that they didn't give it to Wilder. But for me, I, I just think we have a system by which we score boxing, yeah. and even if you even if you give the the knockdowns to to Wilder both rounds, how do you make up the discrepancy yeah. for the others? But I know well those you know, two rounds they both be ten eight rounds because yeah. they're knockdowns. So that's four points or four yeah. rounds straight away. But then Fury won pretty much all the rest. So, yeah, I mean, and well, I mean, for me, I think even the first knockdown in say the ninth was it. I think that could, I think realistically, that could have maybe not been a 10 8 because what because yeah. Fury was so dominant everywhere else yeah. before knockdown and afterwards. Yeah. So I'm like, well, yeah, but that's just the way they score, yeah. It, you know? I agree but, with it. You don't see many rounds where it's someone gets knocked down and it's a 10 9, even though yeah, it yeah. should be or a 9 9. Yeah, just that, it, I, I agree with you there, like you know, it could have been. But you know, that's boxing, and the that's next, one of the problems with it. And, and yeah, the, um, the MMA is just the MMA scoring system shit because it follows boxing scoring system, which is not feasible. Yeah. Like, we need to address that definitely because that's all very well if we're stood toe to toe trading. But if I get two takedowns in the fight, take your back, and I in your guard, and I still don't sub you. Am I better because I've done that, or am I, or is the other person better because they've evaded being yeah. subbed and they've managed to get back to their? Fi- it needs looking at definitely in MMA. Um, the next question: What do you think of AJ's chances against either of them? Um, I think with him and uh, Wilder, I think that'd be an explosive fight. I think yeah. I, th- I'd, I think I'd probably have AJ as the favourite, um, just because of his he's a bit more technically sound. Mm-hmm. But I could very easily see Wilder catching him yeah. with a big right hand and taking him out. I mean, yeah. we've seen Joshua down before already, and you know. Wilder is probably the biggest puncher yeah. in the division, so I could could see either way. You know, Joshua. I could see Joshua knocking him out as well. But he's, you know, I I I think I, you'd have to say that's a very difficult one. I'd pick Joshua as a favourite, but I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if uh, Wilder caught him with a big shot yeah. and uh, and knocked him out with Fury and Joshua. I think Fury would beat him. I think Fury's even though you know uh, people who don't know a lot about boxing would look at Fury and think he's not very good because yeah. of the way he fights like it's just a sort of unorthodox style but he is a very good boxer best technical um, heavyweight in the world I absolutely think right yeah, yeah. He, I think he yeah, I think he outboxes Joshua yeah. um, in a in a very tough fight again he's going to have to be right on his game um, just like Wilder put him down Joshua could put him down yeah. uh, Joshua's obviously a big puncher I don't think he's near as big puncher as, uh, as Wilder, Wilder yeah. but um, I think I think Fury wins that one on points so I think Fury will stop him. I think AJ will get tired. I think he won't yeah. be able to keep up with how much he's going to get hit. Um, so I think Fury will stop him 8th, ninth, 10th, late, you know. Um, I think 
because I just don't think he. I think he gets tired. He's got a big mass to move around, you know. And when you got someone who's so agile and just peppering you with those shots, not looking to finish you, just looking to wear you down, and I think he'll catch him. Yeah, I can see that. And I think uh, with against Wilder, uh, Joshua's a better boxer, technical, but he can't box on the back foot he scares me going backwards and I think anyone who can throw a big right hand but come forward at the same time and I think maybe he can't stop Wilder coming at him yeah and but get it'd be cool, interesting you know? to see what Wilder's like on that yeah. as well because um, Joshua is just physically uh, you know taking away the punching power he's physically a lot bigger and stronger than Wilder yeah you know and if he can defend that right hand and push him and manhandle Wilder about that could make it interesting as well, I yeah. think. But yeah, but I mean, I think that's going to be a clash. I think I think that's the fight to watch. Or AJ avoids both of them. Yeah. This is the thing. Or AJ completely yeah, avoids mean, both of them. I mean, the amount of money AJ's making fighting other opponents, yeah. why not? You know, and I mean, he's probably, probably, they're probably both... I mean, Tyson Fury is too far for him, I think. I, I can't see how, how he wins the fight any way, shape or form. So I think Tyson's too far for him. Um, so that is one to avoid. And if because you came into boxing so late on, I think if you can make as much money as you can and avoid either of them, yeah, well, do that. Like yeah. I'm not gonna, you'll never go down as the greatest British heavyweight of all time for me ever now because of that. But yeah. if, I would say to you, fair play. That was the way to run yeah. your career, you know. Yeah, I mean, and as a boxing fan, I'd love to see them fights, you know, and them see a fight each other. But yeah. from his point of view, you can completely understand why not. Why should he put it, everything he's got? on the line yeah. for our sake you know yeah, I know we're exactly. like, the paying public and pay watch well don't don't buy it when he watches other people fights other people and that's yeah. the only way he's going to fight them um, or you know that's the only way you force him into doing it unless he choose but I think I think Joshua himself is probably he's I mean to, to be successful as he is he must have a fighter's mentality so I wouldn't be surprised in his head he probably wants to fight him both and wants to prove yeah. that he's the best he's got them titles I'm sure Look, he's a charismatic good guy got great, he's great to sell but there has to be that bit where I mean I expect he's um, he's saying to Eddie Earn, I expect he's saying I want to fucking fight I'm getting called yeah, a pussy yeah. here like yeah. what, what's going on I want to fucking fight yeah. him so, and they're like whoa 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 that's, yeah. that could cost us 10 million yeah, let's be sent to and money. he's like fucking let's fight like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know that if he's if he's half the boxer I assume he would be he's saying that you yeah, know sure like and but he's just well managed and he comes across well on TV so he never lets that show like Tyson Fury would blah blah I yeah. fucking said I want to fight him I yeah, fucking yeah. and so AJ's just playing things right yeah, and, yeah. you know it must be tedious so getting called a pussy and not stepping up and fighting these guys but yeah. I think it's the right thing for his career you know yeah you can't you can't knock him if he and if he has another three or four more fights against other opponents that he's making you know he's not going to make as much because he won't sell as much but I know he's making millions you know what's going to dissuade him from it yeah exactly um, so the other thing to, to touch on I, that I want to touch on something a bit personal for me we said earlier on uh, about my so my mum had MS my mum died of MS um, I cared for my mum for six years or so before she went into care and then my mum passed away in care after about five years um, but your mum has MS and I know you have like a uh, uh, you've started like a um, I can't remember what it's called like, not like a foundation like to try and raise money for so a treatment it's yeah yeah well it's just the Just Giving page yeah uh, basically uh, there's this new treatment um, over in Mexico I think they do it in other places in the world as well but my mum was sort of too far along yeah. to have it done in some of the other places because they only do it you know if you're a certain degree of yeah. how far along the, the, the disease is and things like that <clears throat> so uh, we went to go for this place in Mexico um, she's actually managed to have the treatment. Um, my dad managed to cash in his um, 
pension early and my mum's managed to you know sell a load of stuff and get a load of uh, loans and things like that they managed to raise the money because it cost it's about fifty thousand pounds yeah um and they're selling their house to cover everything and this that and the other um for this stem cell treatment um but i i, I was trying originally i was trying to raise the money to pay for it yeah. and i'm still trying to raise money for them to you know to get them out the hole really yeah, sort yeah. of thing because they're obviously real struggling now um but yeah it's like a treatment basically what it is is you have uh, they go over to mexico for a month um they i don't know the exact you know the scientific ways of saying it but what happens is basically they do all these tests check check all the levels certain things they then put you on a course of chemotherapy to basically kill off um you know your immune system because obviously it's your immune system attacking itself uh, with the ms um so they do that kills brings you down to like you know nothing at all uh they've all, before they've done that they've taken stem cells out of your body yeah they then re-inject the stem cells and that's supposedly your new birthday sort of thing and then hopefully these new stem cells you regrow everything sort of thing yeah and fingers crossed you then your body's not attacking itself yeah and the idea is then you won't progress further uh, you know further down yeah, yeah. my mum at the moment now she's in a wheelchair she you know she can't get out you know can't get out of bed your dad's basically a carer for her but he still has to go to work obviously so she's sat at home all day herself can't do anything yeah. Uh, this, that, and the other. So we're just trying to get some quality of life for her. Yeah. You know, like I said, I've got two kids, so she's got two grandkids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she wants to spend as much time and do as much she can with them, which she gets upset about. You know, not being able to. She says, which isn't true, but she says, oh, I don't feel like a proper grandma to them yeah. because she can't do this. And you know, it's just my mum was the just, same, very yeah. same thing. What sort of MS is it? Like progressive, remissive. So. My I mum. That's what she was originally diagnosed yeah. with, and then when she went into Mexico, they said it was the other type. Um, oh, I'm not 100 sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, my, my mum had progressive remissive, so she would, she would, it, she was going to keep getting worse, definitely, yeah. and she would be fine for five, six yeah, years, yeah. and then boom, something would happen, yeah. and she would. So, uh, and that's exa exactly how it happened with my mum, and then. It, it felt like my mum went downhill. It's like I can remember my mum being normal, then she was in a care yeah, home. But there were six years where I cared for her. Um, and that went from originally just carrying like hot food for her to eventually having to help her shower and stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah so, and then she, the, the decline happened from there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's shit because they, cause the, mentally, my mum was very switched on. She saw what was happening yeah. to her. And so that would bother her, which then makes the MS worse because you get down yeah, within exactly. yourself. So yeah. yeah. And I mean, like you say, it sort of things kick it off almost, don't they? I remember yep. we found out when I was about sixteen, so just over ten years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and you wouldn't have known, you know, talking to her or yeah. around, she was fine. You wouldn't think nothing of it for a long time, and you know she noticed it. But in person on the outside, unless you were paying real close attention, you wouldn't know. Then I think two thousand and fourteen, she got breast cancer. Um, she had to have a mastectomy. And you know that is actually fine with that now. Nothing, you know, nothing worse than that. But it seems as if when that happened, it like I don't know what and whether it's just coincidence, purely coincidence, or whether it is because of that. She really went downhill from there. Yeah. And just really, you know, fell off the cliff almost, and it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. To the stage where it was like, soon it's going to be, you know, not yeah. long left. So. Um, Luckily, she's had this treatment. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. I think they said it's like a 70 to 80 percent chance that it can stop the progression. Some people improve a little bit as well, so you never know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been trying to raise some money. I've just given page. I think it's just giving slash uh, crowdfunding slash Catherine Hughes MS. 
Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll grab the link and I'll put the link into the description of this yeah, and you. if you share this the, like add the link wherever you don't see it MS is a massive thing to me because obviously I went through so much with it and yeah. I have an MS patch on all my shorts when I fight and MS Society patch yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I do a lot of stuff for the MS Society I've done some podcasts for them and stuff as well so yeah I want to mention it it's a, it's a shit subject to talk about for everybody but at the same time we have to be, we have to be real and it's something that my mum faced and I lived with and she did and it's something that you're facing and your mum's living with so if we ignore it and try and turn our back on it nothing happens if we at least address it and even mention it on here perhaps people visit your page and it helps your family directly yeah. or perhaps people visit the MS society and it helps there you yeah know, hopefully too. I mean yeah hopefully it all helps and it's surprising when it's sort of become public but more people, more people found out just even like close friends of mine found out oh they didn't know you were like that blah 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 yeah. it's, it's amazing how many people are affected by it with family members or themselves yeah. and everything like that it's crazy yeah, it's amazing yeah. as well, the symptoms. Like People should go and check out the symptoms for MS as well because it can be as little as slight pains behind the eyes, feeling wobbly when you walk, slight slur, like you sound like you're drunk or something. So many little things that you don't realise. People should just have a little read, check out the, the signs for MS, like realise that it affects a lot of people. Like, yeah. That's what shocked me, it does affect a lot of people. And uh, yeah, just, just have, a, have a look into it a little yeah. bit and... Yeah, yeah, I mean, and like I say with the page, I just want to remember just, just to say thank you to everyone that has donated so far. I mean, we're really surprised, and my mum's a bit embarrassed about asking for stuff, you know. It's just, it's just the way my family are, you know. They don't want to ask, yeah, yeah, ask yeah, for yeah. help, just like a lot of people do, you know. And it's sort of bit to wrap your head around almost, but people have been so generous. And, yeah. you know, we're a long way off, you know, covering them, you know, getting them out of the, the thing, but she's managed to have the treatment, thankfully. and. You that's know, that's one really yeah, people you know, have been you know everything people have done has been a huge huge help and, yeah you know. i mean and that's that's why i thought i'd mention it because go visit the page if you can if you feel like you want to help and you can help then you're obviously going to be really grateful your mum's yes. going to be really grateful but even just by visiting the page it's a moral thing so uh like morale it raises morale you know so yeah Go and do that. Um, Joe, we'll wrap this up, mate. It's been a couple of hours now. Yeah. Honestly, I could talk to you. I could keep talking to you, and we will get together. I'm going to try and get Andy on soon. So, uh, But you and I will. Hopefully, you get that fight sorted out. You're going to smash that, and then we can look at getting you on when you're, when you're progressing towards world title contention or something, you yeah, know. But thank, thank you, you very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers.